Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Frank West, a game designer based out of Bristol, England, who publishes through his company, The City of Games. In 2017, Frank successfully funded The City of Kings game through Kickstarter and has continued publishing expansions and games leading up to the most recent viral hit, The Isle of Cats. Frank, welcome to The Bench. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Uh, I, I know I said this just before you went live, but I absolutely love the artwork on this game. I'm sure this is a uh, something you hear quite a bit from people. That just just that box. It just sucks you in. It's certainly um, one of the things I strive to try and do is make sure that our boxes just stand out. And with all of them, I'm a big fan of having the white box or the black box with that piece of art in the middle rather than the more traditional approach of the whole box being yeah. the piece of art and i i just feel like it stands out more and it really draws your eye to it which i'm personally a big fan of that kind of approach it's got that kind of minimalistic kind of uh, <laughs> uh vibe to it right so just for the people listening uh or watching um mm-hmm. so you're I'm gonna go through some quick stats here because these numbers are actually quite staggering uh, and I'll go through kind of all the campaigns. So you've got kind of three big ones that you had on Kickstarter, the City of Kings, which hit 283,000 uh, pounds, City of Kings expansion, Ancient Allies in uh, Vidorian Gardens, that Kickstarter hit 362,000 yep. pounds, Isla Cats, 468,000 pounds. So if anybody's doing the quick math on the head, you've done about 1.1 million pounds, which I think has got to be close to $2 million Canadian, uh, 15,486 backers. Uh, you have been crushing it on Kickstarter. Congratulations. Thank you. I um, It's funny, when you launch a Kickstarter, especially for the first time, you never really know what to expect, right? And we all yeah. dream big. We always assume that it's going to burn and fail. And then you kind of end up somewhere in the middle. And I was very like lucky and happy to like just to jump in high and to be able to keep going up from there. It's, it's a real privilege that a lot of people haven't really managed to kind of do. And I feel very grateful for that. We're going to get into that a little bit later on. Cause I want to dig down deeper on that. Cause for the most part, a lot of campaigns, you know, if somebody hits 30, 40,000, I mean, that's a great success for the first campaign. Yeah. And then it kind of the, with their knowledge and, you know, experience, it kind of ladders up over time, but you hit some pretty big numbers right out of the gate. Before we get there, I got to know, what is what is your background? Like you've been doing this for what, about five, five six years now, I guess? Yeah, it's, it's always hard to know when I started because it was always something that was a hobby for a long time on and off, you know, yeah. and then it eventually evolved into actually becoming a profession. And really, I've enjoyed gaming my whole life. I was mainly a video gamer when I was younger. And when I kind of grew up, I did computer science and I loved the idea of designing video games and I played around designing games all the time. And around kind of 10 years ago, I guess, getting on for 10 years ago, I discovered board games and really kind of started getting into it. And, you know, I'd played Magic the Gathering and the odd thing before that, but this was when I really started getting into the hobby and started understanding these games existed. And the more I played them, the more I realized that it wasn't 
a board game like Monopoly or something that I would come to expect, but they were more yeah. like video games. They were more advanced. You had difficulty settings, you had cooperative, you had competitive, you had short games, you had levels. And all of those attributes that I'd kind of considered video game things, I started to realize were also um, approachable in a board game kind of sense. And this is where I started taking my love for video games and trying to design a board game in the way that I'd originally designed video games. And for a few years, it was just like a hobby of playing around to a point where I had an idea, which I really liked, and it started becoming more and more of a thing. And that eventually evolved into the City of Kings, which was my first game. But really, it was just a very natural evolution from just playing video games to falling into board games to wanting to create games. And that's really the kind of the starting point, I suppose. Were you doing like video game design before that? Or what was your, your career kind of prior so, to the game industry? To an extent, I originally did a lot of programming and then I yeah. did a lot of technical consultancy for kind of like big businesses, helping develop systems. But my passion was always games. So I was one of these people who, you know, I'd go to work nine till five, I'd get home and I would code six till 2 a.m. like doing my own stuff. I'd sleep for four hours, repeat seven days a week. And it was trying to make my own video games and just little apps, you know, not big things but just something and I played around with lots of different small video games I then went and worked with someone for a while on a bigger video game but it never was like it never really kicked off you know it was always that thing where you always needed more time you always yeah. needed more people because the size of the games that I was trying to make were not one person games you know they were 20 person team games and when you get to board game design you realize that you can create a whole board, like the scope is much smaller. So it's much more manageable as one person or two people. And that was why I think that I've been successful with board games, but never really got anywhere with video games. It's a lot more tactile, I think too, right? So yes. if you want to um, have a tile, you can you, you know, draw it on the computer, you print it out, or you can even grab clip art if you're doing something yeah. very rudimentary, you cut it with scissors and put it on the table and it's done. We're programming ones and zeros programming language and things like that have got to be a lot more, uh, a lot more complex. So when you created city of Kings, um, what, how long was it before you had like a, a game that you were playing with friends and family, something you've created <laughs> to the point where you said, you know what, I think I'm going to take a shot at Kickstarter, like, or, or was it designed straight to Kickstarter? Like what, what was that gap? It was, it's kind of hard to put an exact time on it, but it was yeah. a couple of years from day one to Kickstarter. And a big part of this was because I did that thing that a lot of people do, which is one of the biggest mistakes you can make when you first design a game, which was I didn't want to show it to anyone until it was yeah. finished. So I just iterated it and iterated it so much. And me and my girlfriend just worked on it together and we didn't want to show other people. And then, you know, a year later, when we're finally feeling brave enough to like put it out into the world, you start to learn a lot more and you start to realize there's a lot you need to do differently. So it was probably a good year of just me and my partner just playing around as a fun thing. Then as more people started getting involved with playtesting, it started to become much more refined and started to feel more like an actual board game, right? It was much more the experience you would come to get. And I think after probably 18 months to two years was the point where I started thinking, well, actually, maybe I should look for someone to do some artwork and maybe start looking into how can we make this nicer. So 
the first goal really became how do we just have our own copy? How do we make one game? Yeah. How do we make something that's got artwork that looks great? I can put it on my shelf and in 50 years time, I can have my grandkid on my knee and go, hey, look, I made this 50 years ago. This was a thing I did. And then once we got the artwork in place, it just started to evolve into actually maybe other people might like this people enjoy it people are excited by it i was actively blogging online the following started to kind of slowly grow up a lot more but people started following me on twitter and on board game geek you can see the subscriber count for the game slowly going up yeah. and it was all these signals that actually maybe this is something that could become that little bit bigger but i never I never really knew what to expect. You know, when we went live, I think the first goal we had was about 27, 28,000 pounds or something like that. So, wow. you know, 40, $50,000. And you kind of sit there and you just think, my goodness, you know, if we hit that, then we're going to be happy. And we hit it within the first, like, I think it was within the first 24 hours or something. It might've been 36 hours, but it was, it was so quick, you know, that you just kind of were like, huh you know, like, a bit, yeah what's gonna happen now you know and that and we'd i like to plan for everything so i'd plan for best case and worst case but it was nice to kind of be like right let's open the best case scenario folder and <laughs> throw away the other two we're going out and just doing what we can but even then you know you still didn't know what was going to happen when the kickstarter was finished was that going to be it was it going to get into retail were we going to make other games like I always have this fear of being like a one trick pony, you know, someone yeah. who you do one thing and then you're done. So it's only now, like four years later, I guess, where I'm actually starting to feel maybe I'm in this industry now and I've actually kind of got my foundations in place. And it's kind of something that I can consider a long-term kind of job as well as kind of a passion, but it's, it's still very scary, you know, even today, you kind of, I'm not confident when I launch new projects, you know, it's kind of the most nerve wracking thing you can do. Yeah. Apart from launch your first project is launch your second project, right? It's just as much of a fear. My brother uh, today actually said to me, because uh, people who know that I'm working on a game right now, uh, it's going to come out in about a month on Kickstarter. He said, Hey, how, how are you feeling about the game? I said, I feel like I'm going to puke. Yeah. <laughs> like it's uh yeah, it is. Uh, it is a highly anxious uh, mm -hmm. position to put yourself in, um, but it's very rewarding, right? And I think that's that's the hook or that's the addiction, right? Is that you know you, you there's so much risk involved, mm -hmm. and uh, you know the chance of failure is is quite high. But man, if you can make it work, yeah, what a feeling, right? What a feeling and it is. Yeah, it's like I always say that your Kickstarter, like when it's live that like 30 days or however long you have it live is like an entire lifetime in 30 days you have like yeah. the birth you have the growing you have the boring years and then you have kind of the death at the end you know and it's the big kind of bang and it's just it's such a thrill and also so terrifying because you go through every emotion like you know i'll always say there's days where like i'm crying my eyes out and days where i'm laughing and cheering and celebrating like it's just such a roller coaster and it doesn't matter. It's one of those things I think a lot of people say is, you know, oh, you see this person who's running a Kickstarter has made like a million pounds or a person who's running a Kickstarter made a thousand pounds. And actually those emotions are still there. They're just on a much grander scale. And it's it's not the same feeling of making, you know, 
10 grand or 20 grand, but you still have those same fears of, yeah. well, what happens if I wake up tomorrow and everyone's left? What happens if I post an update and suddenly people don't like what I said? You know, you've still got this constant battle, which is could go either way and until it's finished and you've kind of it's closed and everyone's locked in you just never know what's going to happen is did you get city of kings uh, in retail so is it selling at uh, yes. retail right now so i was i have i quite i'm quite i guess different to a lot of people in my approach to a lot of these things so i i'm not someone who likes to chase people i'm someone who likes to get known and then let people kind of come to me when the time is ready. So for my retail and distribution for the City of Kings, it was something that didn't happen straight away because I never contact a single distributor. So mm. in my like last four years, I have never reached out to a distributor, but now I'm in distribution with 20 different distribution companies. Wow. And that is one of those things where it's very nerve wracking, right? Because you feel every day like I need to send that email, I need to get in front of them. But what I try to do was I tried to make sure that they noticed me. I tried mm. to make sure that I did things that would get their attention. And for me, a lot of people say, you know, how do you get into retail? How do you get into distribution? How do you email this person? What do you say? And in my head, it's if you're emailing someone and saying, hey, look at me, my thing's great, then you're on the back foot. But if you can get in front of them organically and make them go, huh, what's that? Then you're already winning and you've got a much better kind of battle for that kind of negotiation. And it's it's a hard technique to do, but it's certainly the way that I've done it. And it took a while with the City of Kings, but now those relationships are there. Obviously, so give, things like the Art of Cats. So give us an example of something you did there to, to, to get them to, to notice you. What, what's something you've done? Um, so one thing which I did was at conventions, I made sure that we had a really, really good looking booth because mm. we had people come past our booth and look at the artwork. And I like to surround myself with these big giant banners of artwork. I don't have logos. If you see any of my booths at a convention, you will never see my company logo. You'll never see the game logos apart from on the boxes. It's all about artwork because I want people to be curious. I want people to say, what's this and like it and have to come in. And then, you know, when the distributors do come and speak to you or that kind of initial thing comes in, you kind of have to look out for them because often if you've got a few people around a table and there's someone who is kind of stood back and they're kind of watching and you can tell that they're really listening in and maybe they've got like a, you know, exhibitor badge or like a badge that says that they're not just an everyday person, you can start to kind of tailor what you're saying to make sure you include things they might be interested in. And then when that conversation happens, you just have to be brave. So the City of Kings is, which was my first game, yeah. this was the big selling point for me, right? My game had a 28 page rule book and then a 16 page like reference booklet. So it was so had a novel. 50 pages <laughs> of rules, right? This is not a small thing. Yeah. The box itself weighs about seven or eight pounds. So, you know, three or four kilograms. And it was this big thing and it takes up a huge amount of space. So when I had the US, the first US distributor come to me and they said, do you want to send us a copy? Like we'd be interested. I said to them, you know, 
can I show it to you? Because I'd always rather show someone it in person than have them open it in a box. Mm -hmm. And they said, we've only got five minutes because then we're going to another meeting. And I said, so I literally turned around and said, get a stopwatch out, time five minutes, and I guarantee you within five minutes, you'll be playing the game and you'll understand how it works. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of looked at it and were like, this game is too big. We can't be doing that. So we sat down, I taught them, and three minutes and like 20 seconds, they were doing their first turn. Hmm. And when their alarm went off for five minutes, one of them got up and said, I'm going to cancel our next meeting. And since then, they've bought over 50,000 games from me. So, wow. you know, that was a gamble, but I was confident. I knew my product, you know, I knew the game. I knew the setting point. And the setting point of the City of Kings is if you know the game, you can teach it in a few minutes. And that's something that a lot of these games don't have. So for them, they took no. They saw the artwork, they were curious, they came over, I identified them, and then I sold them the game through a way that they wouldn't expect it to be sold. That's confidence. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was scary, I won't lie. I mean, my chair was a little bit sweaty by the end of it. But yeah, you know. no kidding, good God. With the Isle of Cats, and not mm -hmm. to alarm, I'm going to share the screen here for people that are actually uh, watching the interview live. Um, again, the artwork is amazing. Uh, you hit uh, $467,000, almost $468,000 pounds, I guess, which is even mm -hmm. higher in dollars. What was one of the things that um, really kind of took you to the next level? Because you, you know, although you start off really high on uh, city of Kings. Mm -hmm. This one was almost double what you did on city of Kings. So what was some of the key learning or what was something different that you did on this campaign that you didn't do on your prior campaigns? So the city of Kings was always a passion project, which was the game I designed for myself and then turned it into something that other people could play mm -hmm. with the Isle of cats. I started the journey with a, what is the game that I want that doesn't exist that I also think other people want? So it was actually much more of a thinking of what is the market? What is the space? And at the time, and it's it's different now, you know, other people obviously thought the same, but at the time, the two spaces were polyomino games. So these Tetris-like games where you're placing kind of tiles onto a board. There were lots of very quick ones, you know, 15 minute, 20 minute games. There was a Feast Road in, which is like an hour and a half game, but there was no medium weight, you know, wingspan level, Everdale level, kind of 60 minute polyomino game that's a little bit more thinky, but isn't too much. So that was kind of what I went for. And then alongside that, it was also, I'm very passionate about cats. I love cats. Cats are also a creature that naturally fit well with polyomino tiles because of the way cats kind of stretch out and yeah. position themselves. <laughs> and I also um, focused on the fact that back then, if you said to someone cat game, they thought of things like exploding kittens, like cat games were always party games. They're always city games. They yeah, weren't yeah. the big highlight of the night. So the Isle of Cats was focusing on what kind of game didn't exist? Medium weight polyominoes. What theme did I feel was popular but hadn't necessarily been tackled in that medium weight kind of area? And then the third element is what game do I want and how do I kind of want to play something? Because you have to personally be passionate about the game if you're going to launch it in the way that I did. So that was the starting point with this one. 
Now you had a family friendly mode um, mm -hmm. that you mentioned, I think in this campaign that you do in other campaigns. Could you explain a little bit what that is? Yeah. So with the city of Kings, the city of Kings, as I said, was always a bigger kind of more heavy game, but what amazed me is because it was a cooperative game, the amount of people that wanted to play it with their children, the amount of people that played it with their kids to teach them maths and kind of basic stuff. And when the art of cats kind of came out, the fear that I had was how many people are going to see these cute cats on a shelf and pick it up thinking they can play it with their kids and realize that it's too complicated and it's too big a game. Yeah. So in the end, I thought I need it to work for both. I want it to work for the gamers, but it needs to also work for everybody. So I created two different rule sets. And when you open the game, you get the 20 page rule book for the Isle of Cats. And then you get a single A4 page, which is double sided, which gives you the entire game for playing with kind of young children. And the trick here was that the advanced game, the, the core kind of game, all of the rules are the same in the family version. So you don't change how something works it just adds layers to it so if you mm. play the family version and then you want to play the core game you don't need to change the way you think you understand how scoring works you understand how placement works what you've got to learn is kind of like resource management and card drafting and the more complex kind of gamer kind of concepts within that game but the family version for me has been such a great thing because now the game works for young children. It works for kind of really hardcore gamers, but it also works as the perfect kind of gateway game. Because if you're playing yeah. with someone who's not into games or hasn't played many, you can play the family version and then it makes it really easy to upgrade them to the more advanced version because they know half of the rules. And once they've got to the advanced version, they now understand resource management. They now understand card drafting. They now understand some of these basic concepts. So you can move them on to other games and it gives it a really nice kind of one, two, three step approach to kind of getting them more into the hobby. Now you had a solo mode, I believe in this as well, right? Yes. Now, was that a plan from the beginning or is that something that, you know, getting into your campaign, you start, you know, there's a decision, okay, maybe we should uh, create a solo mode for the people we're looking for. It was always the plan. I, as I kind of said earlier with like, you know, what was it that I felt was the gap in the market with the polyomino games, medium weight and the cat theme. One of the other parts of that was what boxes do I want to tick? And for me, two of those boxes were a solo mode and then also the ability for people to play with five and six players mm -hmm. because two to four is always the focus and I wanted to hit both ends of that. And the solo mode, again, having done the City of Kings and it's a cooperative game, so many people played it solo that it really put me in touch with how important that slow, solo kind of side was. And the challenge with the Eye of Cats is because it's a polyomino game where you're putting these tiles onto a board, creating like an AI, like a, a you know self-running player that can fill its own board and populate a board is like the most horrendous task, right? It's so difficult. So I actually sat down for two to three months to design the solo mode for that game specifically to come up with a solution that I felt made it 
a proper solo game where you felt like you were playing against another player. It wasn't just a case of how many points you can get. You actually have someone who's fighting against you. And one game, you might get 10 points and they might get 12. The next mm. game, you might get 80 points and they might get 60. But it's all about that battle of how you do better than them rather than just what's the most optimal thing that you can do, which to me makes a solo game more interesting. Did you reach out to any solo groups at all or some of these? Because uh, even on Facebook, there's tons of groups uh, dedicated yes. to solo. Uh, get, so you got the opinions of other people to kind of so weigh in. And Not for the design side of it. Like from the design side of it, I really wanted to explore the new approaches because I'm a real big fan of come up with something and then see how other people do it. Because if you spend too much time just looking at what other people do, you end up copying them and you stop being innovative. So I felt like doing it the way I did it has created a solo mode that is so different to how other solo modes work. Yeah. But obviously, once you've got to that point, you need to validate it, right? You can't just say, hey, I've created something brand new that's better than everyone else. So you kind of have to say, I've got a cool idea. I think it works. How do people feel? And at that point, I kind of took it to a solo community and it worked really well. There's risk there as well, right? So yes. if you're coming at it from a very different innovative approach, it's good because it's different and it's innovative. It can be bad if it's unfamiliar, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes um, in the industry, there's a resistance for people to try doing things completely different because there's this fear that there's going to be resistance from people not adopting it as easily yes. as maybe something that they're already used to. And I think, sorry, go sorry, go on. No, no, I insist. Okay. And I think for me, that's one of the reasons that all of my Kickstarters have done well, because I take risks with every yeah. game I design and with every Kickstarter I run, I do things differently. And there are rules that people say you have to follow, which I break. So my first Kickstarter, it wasn't a small game. It was a big, big box fantasy adventure game. But even though it was a big, expensive game, it didn't have any miniatures in it because I truly believed that you didn't need to have all of this plastic to make these games work on Kickstarter. Everyone said to me back then, you can't release a game this big with this style of stuff and not have miniatures in it. But that was a risk I wanted to take and it worked like really well for me. Having the family and advanced versions in the Isle of Cats is a huge risk. How many games do you buy that have two different rule books in the game which have two <laughs> ways of playing them? Because often you'll say, design the best approach for the game. And my answer with the Isle of Cats was, this is the best approach for an eight-year-old and this is the best approach for a 20-year-old. So that's what I did. But those risks... As you say, you have to be able to test them. You have to be able to validate them. But sometimes breaking the mold is what helps you kind of just get that one step up over everyone else. I think it helps with the evolution of the industry as well, right? So yes. if you look at when we're kids and it was Monopoly and Risk and Othello and kind of the, the you know, clue and the, the, the basics mm -hmm. to where we are now in the, in the indie industry, um, it's each kind of generation of games is built on the one prior to it. And it's yeah. these new innovations that are getting adopted by other games and twisted and turned in, in appropriate mm -hmm. in different ways, which is, I think, creating these, these interesting combinations and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and playability of games that, uh, that we're seeing now in the marketplace.
and you, you see it at every level and it's just great as you say that like that yeah. evolution like five years ago or maybe three years ago call mini or not you know they were the big kind of miniature kickstarter company these days you might argue that awaken realms has overtaken them because they're yeah. now the company doing these big kind of things and it's not that call mini or not are suddenly like doing something different it's just the fact that this new companies try to innovate on top of what they're doing and in a few years time i can guarantee you there'll be another company that's probably sat above awake and realms doing something slightly different and doing the five million dollar kickstarters what's exciting though is it keeps evolving what yeah. is the biggest uh, thing or i'd say the one consistent thing you've done across all your campaigns you think you can attribute to um helping you with your, your campaigns. Like, is there, is there one thing you can kind of put your thumb on saying, you know what, every time I do a campaign, I have to make sure I do that. Cause that's one of the keys to making sure that I continue to grow my, my fan base. For me, the, it's going back to the roots that I am Frank West and I am a one man band who's doing this because it's a passion thing. And this is me. I don't try and come across as if I'm a company. I don't try and come across as if I'm a business. I put my face on everything. I do live streams. I do videos where it's me in the videos. I personally respond to every comment. Every single update is written by me. And it's about making people feel like they have a connection with me because yeah. for me, I want that, you know, my backers are my friends, right? They're people who I interact with on a daily basis during these campaigns. And it's not about trying to sell them something. It's about creating a friendship, a community where they know who I am. And for me, I think that people like that honesty. They like that genuine approach. And it's, it's something where, you know, you put yourself on the line because you have to be honest. You can't lie because eventually you'll fall down. You have to just speak and be you. But if you can do that, people will st start to trust you. And the moment you stutter or you fall down, they'll support you because they know that you're just trying to be you and yeah. you're not trying to pretend to be something that you're not. No, that's a good point. What is next on the deck for you? Do you have like, so what's coming from Frank West next? What's the next thing you're working on? So this year is going to be a focus on expanding the Art of Cat side of things. So okay, cool. there are new expansions, new games. We've not really announced what yet, but there's more stuff yeah. in that side of kind of the line. And then next year will be something completely different. But this year it's really growing and expanding that kind of existing ip well certainly frank i would say you're an inspiration to others uh, certainly anybody that is uh, considering launching a campaign should first go check out all your campaigns because i think you've really really hit it on the head and uh clearly you've uh you, you've you've hit a track that uh seems to be at least giving you a consistent track record of success so i want to congratulate you on that and uh, well, wish you all you. the best this upcoming year and i can't wait to see your next game no, I appreciate it. And people are always welcome to reach out to me and kind of ask questions and stuff. I'm always happy to share and discuss kind of. So how do they do I've that? Is there like a page or an email? How, how best would they reach out to you? Um, so the best way is the website, which is thecityofgames.com. On there, you can find a contact page that has my email and also it has our Twitter and Facebook. But most things are under City of Games HQ. So go to your favorite social platform, City of Games HQ. And if you message them, you'll always get hold of me directly. Oh, that's awesome. Frank, all the best to you and your family this year, right? Eh? Cool. Thank care. you. And to yourself. Cheers. Ciao. 
This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. We'll be right back.